Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Apthia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your name, in your home, I beg your pardon. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening our understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that you may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more, one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, please turn back to Philemon. Um, and yes, we've got a mini-series in a mini-book, as it were, that we're doing, so... Uh, tonight.
and, uh, and next week. And we're going to be looking at just verses 1 to 7, and uh, hopefully looking at the introduction there that uh, Paul brings, and then also looking at three lessons we can learn from Paul and Philemon about how they served the church and how they blessed their brothers and sisters. Are you a, a letter writer? Um, I don't think many of us do anymore, do we? Um, I was talking about this with, with Jan this week, and uh, Jan's, one of grand, Jan's grandfathers, Jan, my wife, one of her grandfathers, was a very godly man, and he would often write letters to his children and his grandchildren. Jan had a few letters from him. And he would write personally to his family, sharing encouragements with them. But also, he wasn't afraid to deal with some of the issues in their lives that he thought needed dealing with. So I think um, if you got a letter from Jan's granddad, you probably opened it with, with fear and trepidation. You knew that he loved you, but you also thought and wondered what he was going to talk to you about. Um, I haven't actually asked Jan what he wrote to her. Perhaps not a good idea. Um, but here we have a letter in the, this book of Philemon, which is something similar to, to that, really. It's a letter not typical of Paul's other New Testament letters because it's written to an individual, primarily, although the church is mentioned, and we will come to that, but primarily written to one person. It's also not typical because it's written to commend, encourage, and also plead with this man Philemon, rather than correct or deal with some error or some uh, mistaken behavior. And so it's very different to many of Paul's other letters. But hopefully as we study it tonight and uh, next Sunday, we'll see that there are lots of encouragements here for us and lots of challenges. First of all, a little bit of background about who the people are um, in the book of Philemon. So it would appear that Philemon came to faith through Paul's ministry. We've sort of alluded to that in verse 19, aren't we? Philemon lived in Colossae, and Paul never visited Colossae, but he did visit Ephesus and have a ministry there. They're not too far apart, so perhaps we can't, don't need to stretch the imagination too far to, to think that Philemon heard Paul when he was in Ephesus. Now, the church in Colossae now meets in Philemon's house. And we have a few other people mentioned there who it seem were uh, serving the church. Archippus was possibly there as an elder or a pastor. And Paul has written to the church. We have that letter, don't we? Colossians. He's written to Philemon, this personal letter, and he sends both in the hands of two people. This is from Colossians 4. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and he may encourage your hearts. He's also coming with Onesimus, our faithful brother and dear, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening. Tychicus, Onesimus, come to the church of Colossae with two letters, one for the church, one for Philemon. 
So Paul wrote this letter and a personal note to Philemon. And it would seem, I think perhaps many of us know the story, don't we, of Onesimus. It would seem that Onesimus had been a slave in Philemon's house. He ran away, possibly taking something that belonged to Philemon, possibly some money, we're not really sure. But then, by God's grace, Onesimus meets Paul and he is converted. This slave is now a believer Onesimus means useful or profitable. And now suddenly Onesimus is useful and profitable to Paul in his ministry. But Paul now has decided it's time for Onesimus to return to face what he's done and to face Philemon. So that's why Paul has written this letter. We're going to come on to that next week to find out what happens and what Paul really wants Philemon to do. But this evening, we're just going to concentrate on the introduction here in verses 1 to 3 to see what we can learn. And then also three ways in which Philemon and Paul serve the church to look at them as an encouragement and challenge to us. Before we get on to that, though, look in verse 2, perhaps a few comments to, to make in verse 2. This letter, yes, is written to Philemon, but there are three other people or three groups of people that are mentioned here in verse 2. Aphia, our sister. Most people think that Aphia is probably Philemon's wife. And so we can imagine that he, she's included in this because, well, Onesimus was a slave to both of them. And it affects both of them, doesn't it? Archippus is the other person there, a fellow soldier, and we read in Colossians that he was um, uh, an elder pastor in the church. So perhaps he's included because this whole mess about Onesimus is going to be needing his pastoral care as well going forward. So perhaps that's why he's mentioned. And then the church that meets in your home. Why is the church included. Possibly because, well, if they're meeting in his home, they would not have, um, they would certainly have missed Onesimus, the slave. He was probably the person putting out the chairs on a Sunday morning, getting the PA ready, getting all the drinks. They would perhaps missed him. Maybe it's because, though, that this slave who's run away um, it affects the church and not just Philemon himself. That this has affected them, not just the fact that he's missing, but it's affected them in a spiritual sense as well. And there is that sense, isn't there, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, that when one thing affects one of us, whether it's for good or for bad, it affects the whole fellowship, doesn't it? It affects all of us because of our unity in Christ. Maybe they're included here because they have been affected by what's gone on. And then in verse 1, we read this interesting phrase of Paul. Paul describes his himself. Paul identifies himself in this way. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is the only time that Paul uses that phrase, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In most other letters, 
he uses this phrase. So 1 Corinthians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. 2 Corinthians, the same. In Galatians, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, but from God. In Ephesians, the same. Paul, an apostle of Christ. We could go on. In 9 out of 13 letters, he begins in the similar way. Here, this is the only time he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. He identifies himself as a prisoner. Why? Maybe Paul is using this phrase to help plead his case with Philemon. Later in the letter, Paul is going to plead with Philemon and he's going to ask him to do something remarkable for Onesimus, his runaway slave. He's going to ask Philemon to welcome him back, but not as a slave. It's not something that Philemon should do in a logical, a moral, or a legal sense, but he's going to ask him to do it. So maybe Paul is using this phrase to plead with him. Paul could have played the apostle card, couldn't he? And he could have said to Philemon, I'm the apostle of the New Testament church. You need to do this. But he's taken a different tack. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, emphasizing his current position. Paul is suffering for the church. What he's going to ask Philemon to do is nothing compared to what Paul is going through. But also there's perhaps another way to read what Paul says here. Paul, a prisoner of Christ, as he identifies himself here as a prisoner, elsewhere as an apostle, but always of Christ. Paul, a prisoner of Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Paul sees his current situation as a prisoner of Christ, fitting into God's plan and God's purpose for him. Humanly speaking, it was quite a low point, wasn't it, to be a prisoner? This is Paul, whose mission is to preach the gospel. How can you do that when you're in prison? And yet, whether he's an apostle or whether he's a prisoner, he sees his identity as being in Christ, bound up with Christ, and because of that, he sees his identity and his purpose all under God's good and gracious plan. And for us, it's the same, isn't it? How do we view ourselves in this world? Whatever we do, whether we're a teacher, engineer, housewife, whatever we're doing, are we doing that for Christ? And it's in Christ that our identity is, rather than not our circumstances. For when our circumstances change, like Paul's did, apostle to prisoner, maybe we lose our job. It's happened to me twice in my career as an architect. <laughs> um, you do struggle with that, don't you? And think, that's my identity. Or is it? Whether our circumstances changed, if our identity is in Christ, then whatever happens, it's in God's good and perfect plan, isn't it? And it reminds us that whatever our circumstances are, whatever we go through, 
we are still in Christ and able to serve him in those situations. Let's look then at at three things I think we can learn here about the way that Paul and Philemon serve the church and fellowship with the church. First, in verses four to six, verses, sorry, four and six, in verses four and six, we read of Paul praying for his brothers and sisters, praying for one another. In verse four, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. It seems, doesn't it, that here, and as we look at Paul's other letters, that Paul is always praying for his fellow believers. He prays for the church. He prays for people individually. He prays and he prays and he prays, doesn't he? He has a terrific prayer life. I don't know about you, but when I read the biographies of uh, great Christian men and women in the past, and you, you feel humbled, don't you, by their prayer lives. And it's seldom a good idea, is it, to send ourselves on a guilt trip about our prayer lives, about how much we pray, how much time we spend in prayer. The devil loves to get us to feel defeated about our devotion to the Lord. But equally, it's good, isn't it, to take the temperature of our own spiritual lives sometimes and ask, what is my prayer life like at the minute? But perhaps also this this phrase is helpful as well, where Paul says, I always thank my God as I remember you. The emphasis on thanking my God. We find it many times in Paul's letters. Corinthians and Ephesians, he uses this phrase, I thank my gods. And it seems that whatever Paul has to write to churches about, he thanks God for them. Many of the churches he writes to have got serious spiritual and moral issues that he has to deal with. And he has to write to them. And he really has to pull them up short. And I guess that if we knew the churches that Paul wrote to, we might feel ashamed to call them our brothers and sisters. Paul always thanks God as he remembers them in prayer. And as I was contemplating this, I was just thinking, what a terrific way that is to think in a godly way about our brothers and sisters. If we're thanking God for them, it's much harder to think badly of them, isn't it? If we're thanking God for our brothers and sisters, it's much harder to hold on to bitterness in our hearts. It's much harder to hold on to resentment against our brothers and sisters if we thank God for them. And then when we look into verse 6, continuing thinking about how Paul prayed for his fellow brothers and sisters, we we see what Paul prayed for. I pray, verse 6, that your partnership with us in, uh, in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Maybe you can cast your mind back 
uh, to some of the other prayers of Paul in the New Testament. He often has this as a theme of his prayers for other Christians. He often has that theme of praying that they would deepen their understanding and love for Christ. Here's another example, a famous prayer of, of Paul's for the Ephesians in, verse, in chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't that a wonderful prayer that Paul prays for his fellow brothers and sisters? And maybe for us, we could use some of these prayers for Paul to help us in our prayers for one another. I wonder if you're like me. Often when I'm, I'm thinking of praying for people and I get the, 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 the prayer list on, on my app, on my phone, or, or the piece of paper, and you, you think about people in the church you're praying for, and you think, ah, oh, yes, they're going through this at the minute. And it's a good thing, isn't it, to pray for people's situations and their circumstances. But when I read Paul's prayers, he prays for their inner spiritual life. Rather than praying that their situation might be changed, he prays that they might be changed in the situation that they face. Which is far more powerful, isn't it? Enabling them to face whatever comes their way. So, can I encourage us, as we think about praying for one another, to, to take out our Bibles and just to have Ephesians 3, chapter 3, or, or chapter 1, or Philippians chapter 1, or Colossians chapter 1, those lovely prayers of Paul, and use them, or just an odd phrase, to pray for one another. So, how did Paul serve the church? He prayed. How did Philemon serve the church? Two things, two ways in which he served the church. First of all, by loving his brothers and his sisters. Verse 5, Paul says about Philemon, Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul thanks God for Philemon because of his love for God's people and his faith in Christ. Philemon sounds like the sort of person who we want to have in our church, and wants, I want to have as my friend. His life is marked by an upward direction of faith in Christ, and an outward direction of love for other believers. In fact, those two aspects of Philemon's life, faith in Christ, love for other believers, is what defines the Christian life. We read this many times. We read it in, in Galatians chapter 5. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
cast your minds to the letter of James. James expresses it in, in a different way, doesn't he? Very direct way, as James often does when he writes. When he says that faith, without any outward expression of love, is dead. In other words, Philemon's life, where he showed faith in Christ and love to God's people, was what the Christian life is defined by. And that love that he showed to his fellow believers was rooted in that faith that he had in Christ. It is from faith that our love grows and by faith that it is, it is nourished. Philemon's life showed that faith, that, that practical sorry, love to his fellow believers. I wonder what he did practically. Did he, did he go and out of love practically help those who were in need? Did he support those who had lost heart? Did he encourage the downcast? Did he comfort those who were grieving? What, we don't know, do we? Perhaps he did that and many other things. As he loved his brothers and sisters with that love that comes from faith. And then thirdly and finally, the third way that, that we see that Philemon uh, served his brothers and sisters comes in verse 7. In verse 7 we read this. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Isn't that a lovely phrase? He refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It carries with it, doesn't it? That, that idea of bringing water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, hope to the weary, grace to the sinful. Refreshing the hearts of the Lord's people. Many, many years ago, I was visiting uh, my sister and her family in L.A., um, they were actually in Arizona. I had to stop off in LA. It was in summer. It was in the heat wave. And I don't think I've experienced heat like that um, ever before or ever since. And the house we were in was in downtown LA. No air conditioning. And the most refreshing thing I could do was to get a long, cool glass of orange juice and like, pile it with ice cubes and just slowly sip that drink. <sighs> so refreshing. In Jeremiah, God says to his people, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. What Philemon was doing here, refreshing the hearts of God's people, was a godly way to act towards other believers. It's what God has promised to do. And we see here Philemon doing that himself. It's often, isn't it, all too easy in our lives to become weary with the struggles that we face. 
Weary of our capacity to sin and disappoint our Savior. Weary of the lack of progress we might see in our Christian lives. Weary perhaps in the little response we see in sharing the Gospels, the Gospel with other people. Philemon was somebody who got alongside his brothers and sisters and refreshed their souls. Did he get alongside them and did he share with them how faithful God had been to him? And did he refresh him in that way? Did he get alongside people and pray with them and bring their problems to God? Did he refresh them in that way? Possibly so. But maybe he did something more as well. In Psalm 19 we read, The law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what? Refreshing the soul. I like to think that finally he did all of those things, but he also opened up God's word. And he shared God's word and he encouraged and refreshed the Lord's people just by sharing God's word with them. Like a long, cool drink in the midst of the heat of the day. Philemon refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And so we see a godly example in the life of Philemon and Paul. We see the way they served and ministered to their fellow brothers and sisters. It's a great example, isn't it? It's a great challenge for us. And yet it's something that we do not do on our own. They did not do it on their own, but they did it through the grace of God working in their lives. And so it's probably fitting that we finish with verse 3 that Paul has there in that intro as he shares his desire for Philemon and says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.